welcome to Food Dangers Untold, the chapter-by-chapter -chapter breakdown of the fantasy classic that is Labyrinth. Tonight, we are on chapter 17, Chilly Down. That's right, it's a musical moment episode. So, before we get into that, it's obviously time to introduce my co-host as always, Miss Emily Slade. Hello! And I'm the other half, Mr. Edward Jones. Um, as we said tonight, it is a musical episode, um, and it feels like forever and a day since we last did a musical episode, because the last one we did was Magic Dance, and now we're here finally on Chilly Down. Um, yeah, that was like a whole 40 minutes ago. It's, <laughs> this is the thing where you break things down like <laughs> chapter by chapter. It seems like a lifetime ago um, that we were just there, like, hanging out with the goblins and Jared, and he was having his musical moment, and now... We get, we get probably one of the more fantastical moments of the film. Um, and so when you yeah. think of like the fantasy genre, you think of like the character encountering strange beasts in. Um, and I think when it comes to Chilly Down, I think that's essentially what we get. We get such a pure fantasy moment in, in this scene. Yeah, it's like um, it's like a big fat lip alligator moment, isn't it? You say that. I mean, when we obviously look at the big lip alligator, yeah, the big lip. The, oh, go is it? Big lipped alligator moment. Or was it big fat lipped? I thought I thought it was fat lipped. Okay. Um, a term coined by Lindsay Ellis, the former nostalgia chick turned cultural commentator that she is. And when she originally introduced the theory, which were "Old Does Go to Heaven," where we had the random musical moment with this giant alligator that sings that comes completely out of nowhere in this film that's all about you know dog gangsters and death and the afterlife and then we have this really random musical moment and I never felt Chilly Down was one of those moments it felt that it fitted in with this world I mean here we have again the fireys who are very sort of like of this world um it just so happens that you know they just uh, have a very musical way of saying who they are and yet, if we hadn't done the musical route, I don't think this would have worked somehow. Yeah, they're funny, aren't they? Um, I agree with you. I don't think it's a big lip delegator moment in that it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a musical and we're just going from place to place uh, within the labyrinth, meeting different characters. And these just happen to be the characters that we're meeting right now. Um but it's it's one that everybody remembers and weirdly like often because like they're annoyed with it like i, I find that they're like it made oh, wow. no sense do you know like that seems to be the main criticism towards labyrinth where they're like it made no sense what i think it's doing is thinly veiling uh childhood trauma and fear because there's you know a moment where they pluck their eyeballs from their skull and yeah. roll them like dice because um, another major complaint about Labyrinth is how frightening it is. And that is 100% a moment that even to this day, as a 29-year-old, I'm like, ah! So I get it. Um, but yeah, no, they're always like, nah, it didn't make sense. And it's like, it makes as much sense as the fucking cleaners. So, <laughs> show your face. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, there's a lot to unpack in just what you said. I mean, I never found this scene particularly sort of scary as a kid i mean dark crystal was always the scary one and labyrinth was like you know the nice wandering around in slippers one 
and it was often the one that you saw first and then your parents showed you Dark Crystal because you love Labyrinth so much and this is by Jim Henson who did the Muppets so how bad could it be? Yeah. And then you're like, oh my god. <laughs> uh, that's that's There's a lot of childhood drama in Dark Crystal for sure. But when it comes to the forest, I always loved this scene. I never mm. had anything. I have to say that since watching it on like DVD, the higher quality really does this scene a real disjustice because the green screen yeah. work, well, the black screen work, shall I say, is very obvious. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the puppetry work is very charming still to it. And I think certainly when you look at what Jennifer Connelly has to act with here, where she basically has to just stand in the exact spots that she needs to be, mm. otherwise like, the illusion doesn't work. And when you watch the making of the fact that they've got this huge black screen sheet and they have to constantly keep hoovering it, because if you have like the slightest speck on it, it's going to show up on the camera. There's no like computers to go in and fix it all in post. It's all very much real basic uh sort of black screen work so but um yeah it's the funniest word that you mentioned would be about the eyes because there's so much eye trauma in like kids movies and and, like things that we're watching as kids of this particular era because you've got uh who framed roger rabbit as eyeballs popping out beetlejuice's eyes um i don't know what it was about about the eyes but they seem to think kids could handle it yeah you don't you don't they don't grow back, do they? Like, <laughs> you only get one pair. Uh, and so there's a real sort of finiteness to them where you're like, I need those. Like, <laughs> they're irreplaceable and squidgy and delicate and I see with them. Yeah. I didn't... It's, um, it's only like Fucci um, has this sort of obsession with eyes and causing trauma to them. Um, if you've watched like the Beyond, he really goes out of his way to cause a lot of eye trauma in that movie. But um, yeah, I mean this this scene. I mean when Terry Jones originally like concept, it was a lot more kooky. It was sort of like these people was like, oh, why you take off my head and my arm goes over here, and then they obviously uh, got boys people, and it was like, no, we're we're gonna go a different direction here. And the result end result being this this really sort of jaunty track. Um, and it, when you look, obviously look at the fairies, they're one of the few creatures we see outside of Jarrus sort of, um, what should we call them, a company, an ensemble? I don't know. Everyone else essentially works for Jarrus apart from, like, the worm and the fairies. No, I wouldn't say so. I think I think the only people that work for Jarrus are Hoggle. In in theory, Sididimus, uh, but that's that's debatable. Yeah. Um, and then and then all of the goblins. Anyone else that lives there is just like chilling. And like I don't think it works for Jareth at all. So and the fireys are just like members of the labyrinth. Maybe they live in this forest. Maybe they don't. What are you gonna do? Kick us out? We'll throw your head away. Like they're just kooky and crazy and. Like living rent free in the forest. <laughs> they do live rent free, it's true. And in our heads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, they're they're funny. I think they're just like the wise man, like the worm. They're just another another peoples of the labyrinth. Um that I, I think if she'd just chosen the other door, yeah. she never would have met them. It literally makes no difference to her journey that she meets them. 
Um, like there's absolutely no consequences to her meeting them, which is possibly why it's often referred to as a big-lipped alligator moment because there are sort of no repercussions from the moment. But then, you know, as we've said, you can apply that to the whole movie. So (laughs) the whole movie is a big-lipped alligator moment. Um, Yeah, so they're, they're a funny one. And I think they're just a really great example of the team being like, oh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's try a thing. Let's just try it. Fuck it, let's just try it. Get a black screen up. Somebody get a hoover. And they just experimented and they had this time to work with these puppets and these animatronics and come up with inventive ways on how they were going to make it work and how it was going to look good. And Jennifer Connelly does a really, really good um she's a really good go at like interacting with them and it's you know she she really does some great puppet acting it's hard it's hard i had to talk to a puppet the other day it's bizarre it's really disconcerting um and she does it really well and it always makes me laugh at the end of this scene it's the one moment that i'm like Jennifer (laughs) but she's like 14 so like it's so good still but you can see that she's like waiting for the rope to be dropped she's like run to the edge of the forest and there's like a cliff face and she's trying to get away and she's like she's got nowhere to go she has to stay on that spot and there's either a delay or she just didn't quite know what to do and you can see that the actress is like she knows that a rope is about to be dropped on her head and she's just waiting for it to happen. You can like see it in her eyes because that's the thing with screen acting kids. They see everything. So you got to think your thoughts out loud in your head. <laughs> Otherwise, the camera will pick it up and you can see that the actress is like, oh, God, uh, uh, nah, any minute. Uh, da, da, there it is. And she goes back into character again. It's just I just find it fun. And that's not a complaint. And that's not me coming for Jennifer Connelly. I just it's not it's an enjoyable moment for me because that is how I act all of the time on screen <laughs> it's so hard <laughs> yeah um with obviously this this scene I mean just to go back a chapter when she goes through the door I constantly find myself looking at the door she comes through to see if the other doors right beside it yeah as if like they both go to the same spot yeah yeah exactly and yeah. I, would, I can never like a hundred percent sure that I see like both doors there um, but it's also interesting the fact that we have this random ass forest in the middle of the labyrinth. Yeah, we just come from like the Queen of Hearts courtyard, essentially, mm. and now we're in a, another glitter. We're we're in the set of legend. We've wandered onto the set <laughs> of legend. Um, wow. and we're only there for like five minutes. Yeah, just one we're song again. I still have no idea where Ludo goes. Yeah, well. Um, this is the thing. We can assume that the labyrinth is therefore layered because he goes through a trapdoor and then, like, spoiler alert, the other two are about to go through a trapdoor and they all end up in the same place, which indicates that, much like the oubliette, that there's layers, there's, like, pits where things, like, whole stretches of the labyrinth are. Yeah. Is there like ground? Is there like an elevator where you can go to like the ground floor where the bog of eternal stench is, and then you go up one, and you're in the fiery's forest, and then you go up another, and you're in the wise man's courtyard? Like maybe they're just like portals. 
that they're going through when they just drop down because we always see them fall into oh like know, the fence. like Escher like the Escher drawing the way yes. the stairs work that's yeah I mean it just like we're in a land yeah, where like actually, logic doesn't really work that's a really good point I wouldn't be surprised if you know you can easily apply that because it's a it's a whole part of the labyrinth that Escher painting and it's on Sarah's bedroom wall um so for the idea for the labyrinth to work that way physically and they never really have to explain it you just sort of take it for granted and it's only now that I'm like wait why do they go beneath to get to the next place yeah yeah. I mean you just see yourself as like constantly moving forward you don't try and figure out like the architecture of the labyrinth so to speak Mm. where it's sort of like oh if I go through this door I end up in this location the same way that when Sarah goes through the war at the beginning um and she ends up in a completely different part we don't really sort of question that we don't think oh well she must have gone down this path and up these stairs and all the rest of this we just assume oh she just goes to this next bit mm. um and i think it's obviously got the advantage of being a kid's movie so people don't really question it and there are other examples of this like when you look at the shining when you work out the architecture of the rooms uh, the office that he's in at the beginning is an impossible room because of the path the characters travel later in the film. There'd be no way for that room to exist at any other time. Okay. So it depends. I think it's like anything. It depends on how close attention you're paying to it. But I don't think it really sort of detracts from it at all. Um, the sort of like lack of logic because they get nothing in the labyrinth runs on logic. Um, yeah. And that's why Jaff is able to manipulate it because, you know, he's the old powerful. And we see this, obviously, when we get to the Escher scene um, and the fact that he gravity does not affect him at all. Same way for Toby, randomly, as well. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this scene's a chance for Hoggle to redeem himself. I mean, obviously, he ran off um, at the first sign of Ludo and now he's come back and... When Sarah like goes to hug him, and he's sort of like, no, 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 because he's like, it. I don't know if he's like just saving his own skin there, or um. Or yeah, what, he is because some... Jareth has already threatened him. True, that's right, and uh, we're obviously going. And he's eat. like, don't you fucking even think about it, because yeah. I do not want to go to that place. Um, and it's bizarre that she does. She's not been seen to be like and you know and that sort of begs the question have the fireys really freaked her out in a way that the others haven't and to be fair they did try and literally rip her head off they did and it also shows a sort of like it's funny as well when you sort of think about this because the fireys are obviously working on their logic where you know you can detach your limbs so now to be faced with someone whose limbs don't detach Mm. Um, is is so strange in front of them, or maybe this is their thing? They just find them so they're just constantly dismantling travelers who go into their lands. Oh my god! Can you imagine? There's like a scene where she looks down and she's just like surrounded by the limbs and bones of previous people that have wandered into that section of the labyrinth. <laughs> um, and that's why Ludo was like really concerned as they walked through that particular door because he was like, "Oh god, this is the place where I come to feast." <laughs> On the remains. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I think I credit the the scene with why later in life I like gravitated to the work of like Cronenberg and like body horror because there's so much like introductory body horror here and like how they start. You, they start off like, oh, I can stretch my limbs, I can take my head off, and you know, 
roll my eyes like dice and then it's sort of like they become this amalgamations of, of each other's bodies so you've got like yeah. uh, the one that's like an ostrich and then the one that's on like four legs and then at the end you've got it's... the head that's on legs yeah the literal like the thing <laughs> the thing yeah and it's like yeah, come on it's, it's like i'm it's... coming <laughs> It can be seen as, like, imaginative and charming and, like, a little bit pink elephants on parade. Exactly. But it can also be seen as, like, pink elephants on parade, which is a nightmare-fueled acid trip. Um, so, yeah I, yeah, I get that. I think it is an introduction to body horror. I mean, yeah. that fucking snake eyes bit, like, he it's the way he uses his fingernails and he pokes them into his eyes and you hear the, like, as they come out. <laughs> And you see the hollow blackness that's left behind before he shuts his lids and denies you that terror, but then tosses his eyes onto the ground that then light up red as someone goes, Snake Eyes! (laughs) Which you don't get as a reference when you're 11. Like, unless you've seen Guys and Dolls, like, you've no idea what that's about. Um, And then he, like, tosses them up in the air and tips his head back like he's trying to catch some popcorn and they pop straight back in, he stares directly back into the camera and just continues singing. And you're just there <laughs> like... Ah! <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, notice uh, Kevin Clash's voice work here? No, I, I didn't. The voice of Elmo, you can see... I'm not sure if he only has like the one voice when it comes Ooh. to puppetry, but you can hear a slightly um, deeper-pitched Elmo amongst the fiery voices this is like some of his early work and i think it was his first project after sesame street because he obviously joined sesame street in around 1980 and he did a lot of productions with them and then i think this was the first project he did out of that and then he would go on to do like splinter for teenage mutant ninja turtles and um a few other sort of projects like that and to his eventual sort of uh downfall really when he uh, got accused of uh, sexual offenses against young boys so yeah, which were never really dealt with. No, it's because of the time that had been passed. Um, and that that's why it was sort of like put to one side and they just sort of like gave the Elmo sort of thing to, to someone else. Because that was the thing. He, he was the only puppeteer who did Elmo. Um, once Elmo became the character that we sort of know and kind of love. Um, yeah. Before then, the he had like a real... Yeah, so you saw his original caveman voice where he just used to blow yeah. things up. Yeah. Um, and I, I wasn't really sure how the allegations played out, so in my head he was always just sort of on trial for these horrific allegations. Um, and if they've been dismissed, like... Yeah, in July 2013, the three cases against Clash were dismissed because the claims were made more than six years after each man reasonably should have become, been become aware of Clash's alleged violations during the three years after each turned 18. Um, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, he just basically just like, oh, we hope he can return to his work. That's pretty much it. That's how it. There was nothing, no further real investigation into it, and it was sort of like left at that. So. I would hope yeah. that uh, the people involved found some sort of comfort in knowing that their story had been heard. Um, as always, you've got to side uh, with the victims. Um, 
So, but yeah, yeah it's like, just something that if, overshadows it now. If the allegations were true, then the man needs to serve a sentence and needs to go on trial for his crimes. Like it's it's bizarre that all of these allegations were made and then it just sort of like and then nothing happened. It's, it's true. Like, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> but I mean, as we we all know, I mean, Hollywood's got this. Well, not just Hollywood. I mean, you can look at the Hong Kong system as well, and many sort of film systems. And this this deep rooted vein of evil and despicable behavior that runs through it. Um, I know when they were showing like Kevin, uh, they were showing Tarantino around the Shaw Brothers studio, and it's sort of like they showed them the Run Run Shaw screening room, and then the room to the side where he used to uh, validate the potential starlets and it's like and this was like well known in the company and it's like displayed off as this big joke and it's all like oh great guys but I would hope that with Weinstein especially being you know forced and forced to pay for his, uh, for its crimes and that 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 something is changing but I don't think it is I think that Hollywood is always going to be this horribly corrupt and disgusting system that it is so yeah, because think of all the other people that were accused after Weinstein that are not in prison. Yep. Um, but back onto more positive things, because let's not talk <laughs> about you know the real monsters of the world, and instead let's focus yeah, on our fireys. I think you know there's an elephant in the room. Like the puppeteer of Elmo has had these controversies surrounding them, and there's no real sort of answer to what happened. So we can't say for sure whether he is innocent or guilty and it's just sort of something that needs to be addressed and it it makes things a bit squiffy when you talk about him and his work because it's like well this is you know it's an important aspect of who he is unfortunately like these things do get intrinsically tied in with people's works um which can be a shame but like yes if they are monsters then we do. We should not worship them. I'm still. I still have trouble with like when I watch the new Muppets and all the Muppets have got the wrong voices. And I think that, that I also really find it really jarring. Like when you watch Simpsons now, because uh, they had the big recasting of everyone, and they didn't even bother to make characters sound like they just not just recast them with like um, ethnically appropriate actors and just like say, oh, just do whatever voice you want. And now we've just got like. Likes a Carl and Dr. Hibbard, who just sound completely wrong. And it's like you just make no but effort to make right. them sound the same. Because <laughs> they're not white people anymore. I know. This is the price you have to pay. Well, you... do we phrase it as a price you have to pay? Or is it, you know, <laughs> the correct thing that should have happened from uh, the start? I feel that it's, yeah, it's a very tricky situation. I mean, as well, the fact that these yeah. were characters were well rounded, they weren't stereotypes as was the original um, issue with Apu. Yeah, Apu was a massive stereotype. Originally, and, and then they, over the man. years, they've, like, developed and fleshed that character out so that he's, like, you know, a valued friend, as the reference on the show itself, but... Yeah, in the same way that, like, anyone in a sitcom that gets reset at the beginning of every episode can be fleshed out. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's not true character development. They don't grow like you would on, like, you know... A Netflix limited series. Um, I know what you're saying, um, but I think this no, is the it's... thing you've got to attach these characters as you believe they're real, and that the adventures, everything that happens on the show, is this experience that develops them as a person. So, 
Yeah, even even when you don't actually see that in the character's behavior. No, otherwise no, the sitcom exactly. wouldn't happen because they have to make the same mistakes over and over again for the jokes to happen. Um, so no, I think it's, I think it's, I remember being shocked when even shows as recent as Bojack Horseman and Big Mouth, when I found out who was playing these characters and being, you know, um, much, you know, badly, I remember being like, oh, uh, I love those actresses. And part of me was like, that's weird. Like, they they are white. Why are they voicing them? That's weird. But I really love Jenny Slate, so I'll let it slide. Um, and clearly that's what everybody did and like we shouldn't have done. And it is changing now for the better. And hopefully these people can also get in the writer's room and start fleshing out the characters from the word go as well. Oh. that's what needs to happen. Um, but uh, looking at the forest, I mean, yes, I mean, they're obviously these random characters. They're also the one of the few characters who aren't uniformed. When we look at many of like the goblin, the army... They're just sort of like the very sort of similar looking characters. Um, they, depending on which unit or what rank that they have, they look very sort of similar. Um, but with the Farish, you've got here, you've got, I wouldn't say five, six characters who look very different to each other. Mm. Um, and at the same time, when you look at the whole musical sequence here, compare it to like Magic Dance. I mean, obviously, Magic Dance is much more bigger sort of scale thing because of the amount of puppets on set here we only have like six puppets but like the actual the way they dance and stuff is so uniformed and like together um it did it's fascinating to to watch when you have like the they hit that first chorus and they got these like unified movements you think that's just like a group of puppeteers we're talking about three puppeteers at least per, per puppet and mm. they're somehow doing this all in sync um, yeah. It's one thing if you were like one, if you had like just six puppeteers doing it, but to have like three times the amount of puppeteers and doing it so spot on, um, much less having to work around a human actor who, to her credit, doesn't have to do much, just like not get in the way. Mm-hmm. Well, she look, does some good reactions. She does do good reactions, yes. I love her line read. Again, she just has these really great line reads where like anyone else would have said it's so flat and boring. Um, and they're like, her hip doesn't come off and she's like of course it doesn't like the, just the way she delivers the line every time I'm like iconic it's the first time in a while as well Sarah's been shocked by something she's seen in the labyrinth because and to this point she's got she's got a level of comfort with like the craziness of the world around her it's sort of like oh yes the door knockers talk of course they do oh this big hairy beast of course he's friendly of course the inevitable uh, betrayal by Hoggle um, and then when she meets the forest, it's all like, oh no, this is all new and weird to me. So, and it's also a, a rare moment that she's actually in danger. I mean, the last time she's really been in danger was um, when she was being mowed down by the cleaners. <laughs> yeah. Which I have to say, like, if Jav had killed him that way, I mean, that would have been hilarious. Can you imagine? It's all like, oh, I he goes didn't back think and that. he's like, fuck. <laughs> Why did I do that? Oh, Jareth, you you acted before you thought again, didn't you? This happens every time. Oh, well. Guess you're a goblin now, Toby. <laughs> and then he goes back to his uh, scroll and is like, okay, now girl 28, <laughs> what's Jesus she up to? Christ. 
Because you can imagine that, you know, this plan is too well prepared to think that this is the first time he's done yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, you think that Which someone is, has know, this level of seduction flair. For the people that want to push the romance angle. I, I know the people. Jareth just nothing, thought of nothing but Sarah and she's his one true OTP, you know? Um, but no, yeah, he probably has a list of teenagers. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe he's got like different labyrinths for them all. My God, that is like a business. So it's all like, but you know, I mean, he's a creature of of magic and myth. I mean, he he can just create things. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the same. Maybe there's a whole like bunch of different labyrinths that we could have seen, depending on the personalities. He's obviously crafted this one because of Sarah's love of the fantasy. Um, oh my God, what a hobby to like look at a girl's bedroom and then design an entire labyrinth i mean move aside beast in your fucking library like that man studied my hobbies and created an entire living organism maze around <laughs> my interests that is romantic as hell <laughs> i'd say for yourself it'd be not, pretty easy but... wouldn't it be like oh we just wheel out the sarah labyrinth again <laughs> So. Yeah, another teenage girl. Just bring her in the Sarah Labyrinth. <laughs> she'll she'll find something in there that she enjoys. It's teenage cool. girls, am I right? They're all the same. You said They're it, not, not me. Uh, I said it with a massive tongue in my cheek. Um, they are incredibly complex and all different, and mm. blah blah blah. We know this. Yeah, you you know you're smart people. You know yeah. Manage to get yourself dressed and sort your hair products and everything else by yourselves. You know, you're hip people because you listen to this show. So, we're talking about the other idiots. Ooh. You know. <laughs> right. Anything else you want to talk about in this one? Um, no, I don't think so. You know, I never noticed that rope bit until you pointed it out now. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> you're welcome. So. She's just very, she's like desperately trying to not look up because mm. she knows it needs to be a surprise. So then her take when it hits her, and it probably is a, a reaction to it hitting her because it does look like it actually hits her, is like so over the top. She's like, oh, a rope. And you're like, yep. <laughs> she's like, where did this come from? And you're like, you've been standing there waiting for it for like a good minute. Um, like it was a long time that you were stood there. So I get why you're acting started to dip there but uh i forgive you mm. also hoggles must be pretty damn strong to pull her up <laughs> yeah, right. i mean this is where you gotta learn to climb the rope in gym <laughs> class in case you're like ever in a forest with a bunch of fireys and need to escape jesus um yeah i and mean it's yeah a- he, he's hella strong maybe he's like having to lift all the boulders around the labyrinth and shit Maybe so. Um, and it's always funny when you like watch these films. Stuff. Everyone can climb a rope perfectly. But this is yeah. the one time where someone needs their ass <laughs> dragging up a wall. Yeah, I would. I have no upper body strength. Yeah. I have no lower body strength either. I have no body strength, basically. But I definitely would not be able to haul myself up a rope using only my arms. Even with my legs up against a wall. Like, I would need... I don't even think I'd be able to cling on. I'd need to, like, wrap myself around the rope. Yeah. Like, and then, like, you would have to tug me up. And it would take hours. 
Like, they would come and rip my head off before I'd reach the top of the bridge. Like, would, I'd be fucked. That would be quite the scene. Instead of, like, where we see the fiery, fiery head flying. I don't know if it's flying or being thrown up, but we just see Sarah's head being thrown up. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the... Jareth's like, shit, who let it go in the fiery forest? That place was out of off limits. <laughs> so... It's like, do you think that she would be able to figure out the puzzle with the door knockers? <laughs> <laughs> that took us all day Guys, to figure that. You had one job, Jesus. That's, I mean, this is the the thing. I mean, obviously, Jareth, we assume, is just wants her to get to the Goblin Castle. He doesn't want to maim her on, on route. So it's all like, how do you work out what you're going to throw at someone to keep... To keep uh, trying to break their spirit. Yeah. So that by the time they like stagger into the end, they're like, I don't want to play anymore. Fine. Yeah. Whatever you want. I'll um, see you. I'll love you. Just please let me sit down for two seconds without some fucking freak attacking me. <laughs> True. Um, but yeah. I mean, that was obviously the Fireys or Chili Dam. Um... If you uh, haven't done already, please do uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come and say hi to us. You can also, if you um, also hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. Um, but until next time, thank you as always for listening. Thank you to my co-host Emily. Thank you. And next episode, we visit another iconic location as we hit Chapter 18, The Bog of Eternal Stench. But until then, good night.